I want to talk to you today about starting over again. Starting over again. Can you really start over again? If I didn't believe that through the God I preach, you can start over again, I wouldn't preach another week. Because the God of the Bible is a God who, rest- who restores, who forgives, who opens up new doors, new horizons, new vistas. He is a God of hope. He is a God of change. He is a God of new beginnings. Amen? So I want to talk to you today about you can start over again because some of you need to hear that. Some of you need to know that. And so let's look at Isaiah 43. These are some of my favorite passages. I love these verses. My Bible is all worn out on this page. It says, Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters. Don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now, everybody's saying now. He's not saying in the sweet by and by. He says now. It shall spring forth. Shall you not know it, perceive it, see it, become aware of it? Don't you spot it? That's what he's saying. I'm going to make a road in the wilderness, and I'm going to give rivers in your desert. Wow. Wow. Isn't that good stuff? Isn't that good stuff? That's an incredible promise. So let's pray. Father, I thank you today that there is a new beginning in Jesus Christ. Brand new beginning. And Lord, even when we mess up and fail, you allow us to start over again. And I pray that, Lord, this word will come true and mightily and strongly into hearts all over this sanctuary, watching by video and listening later on radio. I pray, Lord... Open our eyes and encourage our faith and strengthen our hope. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Now, will you breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, I receive your word. In Jesus' name, change my life today. Amen. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, God heard that prayer. God heard that prayer. When I was a kid... I used to watch the teacher put things on the chalkboard. Remember those old-fashioned chalkboards, real chalkboards, chalk and chalkboards? And I used to watch the teacher do that. And I used to think the coolest thing about the whole deal with chalkboards is she could put, or he could put, all kinds, fill the chalkboard up, and then when they were done, they could just pick up an eraser and totally erase it in mere moments. Just erase it. And how often have we wished life were that way? That, that no matter what is on the chalkboard of our life, The things that we wish had not happened, we could just pick up an eraser and just erase it. But life is not that way. So what do you do when you make a mistake you can't erase? What do you do? When you've suffered a setback totally out of your control, somebody did something, some door shut, something went down that you had no control over, and now you've experienced a setback, what do you do then? Or what about when you've been hurt by somebody uh, and their actions have caused you a lot of pain and you can't go back to the way things were in that relationship? What do you do? What do you do? How do you pick up the pieces and begin again? Are you just stuck in what happened? Are you just stuck in wish so, hope so, if only? And you are living under the tyranny of if only... Instead of the hope of a new beginning. 
My message for you today is very simple, and it's this. No matter what mistakes you've made or what others or life may have handed you, you can still start over again. You can start over again. And I'm speaking a word of hope to many of you because it looks to you like, well, I don't see how I can possibly start over again. I want you to know that our God is a God who gives brand new beginnings and empowers us to start over again. And not only that, but tells us exactly how to do it. Now, in our text, just to give what we read at the beginning a little bit of context, Isaiah is writing to the children of Judah who have been taken captive into Babylon, and they've been there for 70 years, and they were there for something they did. They did it to themselves. And that's the hardest suffering to go through, isn't it? When you know you're suffering because you did it. If you just hadn't done that, said that, gone there, you wouldn't be suffering like you are. And that was the children of Judah, because for decades, they had prophets sent to them. They had Isaiah, Jeremiah. Jeremiah preached to them for decades, warned them, uh, spoke right to them the word of God over and over again, went into the temple, went into the public square, went everywhere, spoke right to the politicians, spoke truth to power. And he said, if you don't turn, God's going to judge you. If you don't turn, you're headed for a catastrophe. If you don't turn, you better listen to God, because if you don't turn, it's going to be bad news for you. And they didn't listen. They didn't listen for decades. And Jeremiah was there to watch them carried away into Babylon. If you want to read a really sad story, read the book of Lamentations. It's tough to read, because it's through Jeremiah's eyes as they're being carried off into Babylon in shackles. Men, women, and children, they didn't listen. And so... God brings a word to us. God will warn us. God will try to turn us. But sometimes we just keep on going and we suffer the consequences. So Isaiah's message was to those people. And he's saying to those people, I want you to quit thinking about the past. And I want you to quit thinking about your mistakes. Because I will do a new thing. And God is giving these people in captivity a word of hope. And and even though they're demoralized and discouraged and hopeless and filled with doubt about whether or not they could ever really have a bright, exciting, promising future. Now, not only did Isaiah speak to them a word of hope, but so did Jeremiah. And Jeremiah brought them one of my favorite verses. It was to those people that Jeremiah said, I know that I th- the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Now, do you know the Lord's thinking about you? I know the thoughts that I'm thinking about you, says the Lord. Jeremiah said to them, in captivity, there they are, for their mistakes. And here's what he said. I know the thoughts I'm thinking towards you, says the Lord. You are on my mind. I'm thinking about you. And I'm not thinking bad because of your mistakes and what put you here. But I'm thinking thoughts that are good to give you a future and to give you a hope. Amen. I love that verse. That verse is in yellow, it's in blue, it's in different colors in my Bible. I've had it on my refrigerator. It's a great refrigerator sticker. You need to always remember, you are on his mind. And God always has good things. He's not out to squash you. He's not out to defeat you. He's not out to beat you down. But the God of the Bible is out to pick you up, dust you off, breathe fresh life into you, give you a future, and give you a hope, and give you a reason to get up in the morning. That's the God of the Bible. And I I thank God for 
that God because that's the God I preach and that's the God I've lived for and that's the God I've given my life to, the God of new beginnings. And so Jeremiah and Isaiah both said to these people, there is a future for you, there is a hope for you, there is a reason for you to be excited because I'm a restoring, forgiving God. There is hope for a new beginning for you. Now through Isaiah... God gives specific details on what we can do in order to have a fresh, brand new beginning. He tells us exactly what to do. He tells us the steps to take. And they are these, and I want you to say them with me. First, quit looking back. Second, start looking forward. And third, seize your season. He said, folks, those of you in captivity in Judah, in in Babylon... You, you people of Judah, if you want a brand new beginning, you're going to have to stop looking back. You're going to have to start looking forward. And you're going to have to seize the season of deliverance God is giving to you. Now, let me deal with those one at a time. First, you've got to quit looking back. I wrote a book called, There's a Reason the Windshield is Bigger Than the Rearview Mirror. Because driving a car, you're not supposed to drive looking in the rearview mirror. The, the windshield is bigger because most of what you need to see is ahead of you, not behind you. And life is the same way. It's okay to look back and, and learn from our mistakes. It's okay to look back and remember things that we ought to remember. But we're not to drive through life looking back. We are to look forward through the windshield of faith into what God has for us. He says, don't remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Now, is he telling them to pretend like it didn't happen? Is he telling them to practice denial? No, he's not. Here's what he's saying to them. He's saying, don't constantly look back. Don't live looking back. Don't go through life living in your past. Now, when I'm driving my car, I look in the rearview mirror when I'm backing up for different times. But the great majority of the time I'm looking through the windshield, it's the same way with life. We are not to go through life looking back, constantly hooked on the past, pulled back to the past, focused on the past, obsessing over the past and what happened to us and who did it or what we did. The word remember here when he says don't remember the former things means to constantly call to mind. So it's somebody who is really, really hung up on the past. Hung up on the past. Stop rehashing the disappointments, the hurts of the past. Stop hitting the replay button. Stop hitting it and and looking back and remembering. You know, when you do that, it's like you're holding on to a rattlesnake. Somebody hurt you. You're wounded. Maybe you haven't forgiven them. And and, and when you do that, it's like you're holding on to a rattlesnake. If you hold on to a rattlesnake, let me promise you one thing that's going to happen. He's going to keep biting you. And when we don't forgive and when we live in the past, we're allowing the past to have power over us, to bite us over and over and over again. you got to throw that rattlesnake down. You can't live there. He's saying quit racking your brain trying to understand what happened back there, how you got hurt, what you did, what they did, how they did it, when they did it, why they did it. Quit trying to figure it all out. Quit looking back. You, you've got to let the rattlesnake go. You've got to let the past go. I have good things that I remember in the past, but I've got some things that I don't have amnesia about them, but I choose not to call them up. Why should I call them up and let, me bite, let them bite me again? 
I, I will not live in those things. I let them go. I forgive. Now, speaking of forgiveness, I've noticed just doing life and being a pastor for a long time, I've noticed this, that what keeps people in the past more than almost anything else is a forgiveness issue. Either you haven't forgiven who hurt you, or let me drop a bomb on you now. You haven't forgiven yourself. Have you ever thought about that? You haven't forgiven yourself. You've been very successful at forgiving other people, other things, sometimes really terrible things, and you've done well to forgive them and, and, and give them to God and go on. But you haven't forgiven you. Haven't forgiven you. You can't forgive yourself for an equal or even a lesser offense. Some people have never thought about this. And I've never preached on this like I'm about to. But it's occurred to me that we got to forgive us. We've got to forgive us. So let me just park here for a minute and talk about forgiving you forgiving you, me forgiving me. We've all had those times, all of us, when we have, we can't believe what we said. We can't believe we yielded to that certain sin. Or we can't believe we traveled down that forbidden road. We've all had those times. We know that we were wrong. We've talked to God about it. We've admitted it. We've confessed it. And we've received God's forgiveness. And yet something still lingers in the back of our mind, in our conscience, when it comes to us, ourselves. We know we're forgiven, but we still punish ourselves. So, Jeff, if you knew what I did, you'd punish me too. Well, let me tell you something. The blood of Jesus overcomes anything you ever did. The blood of Jesus is greater than any sin you could ever commit. And, and when it comes to forgiving ourselves, sometimes that's a great big step because we're really good at doing it with others, but when it comes to us, we don't let our own selves off the hook. We feel that we need to punish ourselves. Deep down inside, we've even got a sense that we need to go through lifelong penance to pay for what we did, even though Jesus Christ's blood has washed away all of our sin, we feel like we've got to punish ourselves. I, I, I read about a lady. Um, it was her story. And this lady was a professional. I think she was an, an attorney. And, and she met a guy, and, and they got married. And, and the marriage didn't go well at all right off the bat. There was a lot of fighting, a lot of arguing, a lot of dissension. And about 14 months into the marriage... She realized she was pregnant. Well, without telling him, because she did not want to affect her career, and because she did not want to have a child with him, she went and she got an abortion. And about a year later, he found out about it. And when he found out about it, they had a major blow-up, blow-out, and the marriage dissolved and she went on. And about five years later... Somebody invited her to a Bible study, and she was sitting in the Bible study, and sitting in the Bible study, the Holy Spirit grabbed hold of her and spoke to her and said, you have never forgiven yourself, and that's why you've been living the self-destructive lifestyle you've been living, because you've been punishing yourself. And right there in that Bible study, she forgave herself. And when she forgave herself, it gave her a brand new beginning. Now, let me tell you something you got to forgive yourself. Listen, forgiving yourself is crucial to moving forward. I think I'm talking to people who want to move forward. Amen. And so if you want to move forward, forgiving yourself is crucial to moving forward. Here's where we've got to have forgiveness. We've got to be sure, first of all, that we're right with God. 
Because if there's sin between us and God, here's what we're like. We're like a car broken down on the side of the road. And, and we can't travel down the highway of life because that car is broken down. It's hindered. The engine won't work because there's something wrong with it. Well, when it comes to a human being, if there is sin between us and God, we're like that broken down car. We're not going to get on the road of life and move forward until we are forgiven. We must repent. Now, isn't it weird that in a lot of churches, you're not going to hear that word anymore. But repent is a beautiful six-letter word because repentance opens the door for us to have fellowship with God and to receive his blessings and all that God has for us. Thank God for repentance. Right? But so we need, we need to get right with God, but then we got to get right with others too. Jesus said, if you don't forgive others then the Heavenly Father won't forgive you. So we got to forgive others. But listen, let me ask you a question. When Jesus taught us to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us, didn't that include us forgiving us? Because I'm a person. And if I need to be forgiven by me, then I need to forgive me. Have you ever looked in the mirror and just said, hey, self, I forgive you. Have you ever seen the power of that, experience the power of that? Self, I forgive you. I let you off the hook. God forgave you, I forgive you. And I'm not going to hold anything against you because the blood is mightier than what I did. The blood is mightier than what I did. So I can forgive myself because he forgave me. Because the blood of Jesus washes away all my sin. So I can forgive me. Let me ask you a question. What would have happened to the ministry of the Apostle Paul if he had not forgiven himself? Do you know what he did? Do you know what Paul did? Do you know, do you know the struggle he must have had in forgiving himself for what he did? We know the terrible things that he did because he tells us about it in his letters. He told the Corinthians, hey guys, I'm the least worthy of all the apostles. And I shouldn't even be called an apostle at all. After the way I treated the church of God. Well, he goes further with the Galatians. He tells the Galatians, I went after the Christians mercilessly. I hunted them down and did my best to get rid of them. And that means kill them. I did my best to kill Christians. But now he tells King, King Agrippa, he tells King Agrippa everything. He says, I used to believe that I ought to do many horrible things to the followers of Jesus of Nazareth. And then he tells us what he did. I imprisoned many of the saints in Jerusalem. He threw them in prison. He goes on, as authorized by the high priest. And when they were condemned to death, I cast my vote against them. That means I voted for their death. I killed them. I killed Christians. This is the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote Ephesians, Galatians, 1 and 2 Corinthians, two-thirds of the letters of the New Testament. This man wrote... Could he have done that if he had not forgiven himself and what we're reading about right now? But he doesn't stop there. He said, I used torture to try to make Christians everywhere blaspheme Christ. I don't know what the torture was. Let's say it was a torture rack. He put them on a torture rack, and when they were in agony, he said, blaspheme him, renounce him. And some of them did it in, in agony. This is your Apostle Paul. <laughs> I was so violently opposed to them that I even hounded them in distant cities and foreign lands. And yet it was this same Apostle Paul, folks, watch this now, who wrote and said, 
Forget what lies behind. Come on, everybody. Forget what lies behind. Forget about it. He's not saying live in denial. He's not saying act like it didn't happen. He's saying don't live in the past. Don't let it torture you. Don't let it torment you. Receive the love of God, the forgiveness of God, and forgive yourself. He even said this, I judge not my own self. Wow. I don't even judge myself. But I give my judgment to him. So, everybody say, you've got to forget the past. And don't forget Simon Peter, who denied the Lord three times, the third time, in Jesus' hearing, with Jesus looking right at him. Don't you know he replayed that tape over and over again in his mind, particularly the third denial when he was done with it, he did it with cursing. And right about then, Jesus was walked out and Jesus looked him right in the eye, looked him right in the eye. Oh, I, oh, I just can't imagine that look. I don't know him. Blankety blank, I don't know him. And then there's Jesus looking right at him. His guilt drove Peter to bitter tears. And, and then to a flimsy attempt to return to his old life of fishing. He, he went and said, I'm going fishing. He was trying to return to his old life. And he couldn't go back to his old life because there was nothing there. It says all night long they caught nothing. And that's what will happen if you and I try to go back to our old life. We're not going to catch nothing. Because there's nothing back there. We got to go forward. Amen? We got to go forward. And, and so, so Simon Peter experienced a personal visit from Jesus Christ. And that's the only way he was restored. Do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? You know I love you. Yes, I love you. Yes, I love you. Feed my lambs. Feed my lambs. Feed my sheep. And then he received the Lord's forgiveness and he forgave himself. You've got to forgive you. I don't care what you've done. You've got to forgive you. You've got to let you off the hook. You've got to forgive you. Forgive yourself. At the end of this message, I'm going to lead you in a prayer of forgiving yourself. Even if you don't need to, you probably ought to pray it. So once you quit looking behind, then the prophet says, start looking forward. Now I'm going to quote Paul again first. Paul said, forgetting what lies behind, that's what's first. And then reaching forward, reaching forward to the things ahead. Notice they are in order. You can't reach forward. You can't move forward until you have let the past go, until you have dealt with your past. And Jesus Christ died on the cross to deal with our sin and wash our past away. Amen. So forgetting precedes reaching. And the word reaching is a word signifying great effort, a strain. It's, it's a word that means straining. It's like a, an athlete who, who, who's taken the final lap and he sees the finish tape and he's given it everything that he's got and he's reaching and he's straining to break that tape. That's the idea behind reaching to what lies ahead. God wants you reaching for a great future, not for a dead and gone past. And God also turns our gaze forward through Isaiah with this promise. He makes a promise. He says, behold, I will do a new thing. When you quit considering the things of old and remembering the things you've done and living in the past, he said, then you are a candidate for a new thing. You've got to receive God's forgiveness, forgive others, and forgive yourself. And when you do that, you are a candidate for a new beginning. He says, behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Everybody say now again. Now. Let's try it again now. now. Now he says, listen, once you have received God's forgiveness, forgiven others and forgiven yourself, 
Now, God's going to do a new thing. Shall you not know it? He's saying, are you not going to see it? Can you spot it? Can, can you turn your eyes on it? Because here's what he says. He says, it has already begun. Now it shall spring forth. That means it has already begun. Don't you see it? In other words, look ahead. Look around you. Quit looking back. Look forward. I'm moving on your behalf. He says, now it shall spring forth. That means it has already begun. Don't you see it? Amen. It's already begun. Now, these people in captivity, here's what they heard. They heard that Cyrus, a new king of Persia, had released them from their captivity. They were released to go back to Jerusalem. They were released to go home. And so he says, look, quit looking back there. Quit beating yourself up. Quit living in the past. He said, I want you to look forward and look around you because it's already springing forth. Cyrus has already signed the decree. You are released. I'm doing a new thing. Shall you not see it? Shall you not know it? Shall you not take advantage of it? The words spring forth, now it shall spring forth, describe exactly how God's new beginnings manifest. It means it shall spring up like the grass springs from the ground. Or it shall bud forth like the opening of flower petals. How do they open up? Those beautiful flower petals. It's springtime. We're seeing it happen all around us right now. So this is a great time to preach this. But how do flower petals open up? Gradually, beautifully, miraculously, they unfold. And God says, that's the way I do new beginnings. There you are. You've been living in the past, beating yourself up over the past, not letting yourself off the hook. But once you receive God's forgiveness and forgive others and forgive yourself, then new beginnings begin to open like a flower petal all around you. And he says, will you not see it? In other words, open your eyes. Because God is a God of new beginnings. He says so right here. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now that you have let yourself off the hook, quit living in the past, start looking forward. He says, now you're a candidate for a new thing. And now it's going to spring forth. It's going to unfold new things. Let me give you some examples. It might be a new friendship, new relationship, new opportunities, fresh goals, exciting new ministries. The Bible says of Jesus Christ, I'm he that shuts and no man opens, and I open doors and no man shuts them. And he says, you're going to have doors open up. Doors are going to open up. Oh, I love that door. I love the way God opens doors. You see a door and it says new thing on it. New thing is written on it. And, And then it says, turn the knob and walk through. Now I can stare at it all day and say, yep, there's a door. Yep, it's a new thing. Yep, there it is. But there comes a time I got to walk through that door. And and, and God gives a new beginning. He gives a new beginning. Now, here's the sad thing. The children of Judah in Babylon, when the new thing happened and that door just stood right in front of them, and God said, now you're free. You're free. I have set you free. I've given you a brand new door. Walk through it. The Bible says, that most of them, the majority of them, did not take advantage of it. 
Whatever it might be, whatever new door, whatever new relationship, whatever it is that God does, whatever new opportunity, you've got to start looking forward with expectation because God is moving on your behalf. He's moving on your behalf. So everybody say, don't look back. Look forward. And then the last thing God says, and this is so important, without this, none of the rest of it means anything. He said, you've got to seize your season. You've got to seize your season. God promises, I love this, I'm going to make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Now, those are dichotomies. Those are paradoxes. Those, because those never happen. If you're in a wilderness, you're in a wilderness because there is no road. And if you're in a desert, you're in a desert because there's no water. No water is what makes a desert a desert. But God says, I'm going to overrule where you are. I'm going to take you out of where you are. I'm going to move on your wilderness experience. I'm going to get you to a new place. So I'm going to blaze a trail where there is no trail. I'm going to make a way where there is no way. I'm going to open a door where there's been no door. And I'm going to give you a drink where nobody else can find a drink. Come on, everybody. He says, I'm not hindered by your wilderness and I'm not hindered by your desert. When you get right with me and you get right with others and you forgive yourself, you're a candidate for a new beginning. And when that new beginning begins to unfold like beautiful flower petals, I'm going to do some things that are going to make a way for you where there hasn't been a way. I'm going to give you a road to get out. But here's the deal. You got to seize the season because what good is a new road if you don't get on it? What, what good is, is a stream in the desert if you don't stoop down and drink from it? God is saying, listen, I'm going to give you the opportunity. I'm going to give you the new door. I'm going to make a way where there is no way, but I can't make you get up and go through it. You're going to have to get up and activate your faith and go through it to the other side of where I'm taking you. Because if you don't get up and take advantage of it, what good is it? You've got to seize your season. It's spring. And, you know, in the winter, everything dies. And everything is dead and dull looking. My backyard, I have a great backyard. But wintertime, everything dies. Everything is that dark, dead brown. There's no green, no flower petals, no life. But spring came. And I realized it was the season of spring. So I seized the season and I went to Home Depot. And man, I bought flowers. And I bought plants. And I bought some things that look like trees, but they tell me they're not trees, so I bought those too. I bought things that blossom and that give color, because I said this, I said, I want color in my backyard. And I got out there and I seized the season, and I planted those things. I almost lost them last night. It was 34 degrees, 2 degrees above freezing. You think I wasn't binding and loosing that weather? The Lord kept it 2 degrees above freezing, because I had about, well, I had some money out there in my backyard that I would have lost. But I seized the season. I took advantage of spring. Life happens in seasons. And God gives us a time. Let me, let me just quote you the verse. The, the Bible says to everything there's a season. 
And there's a time for every purpose under heaven. And he's telling us I, life happens in seasons. There is a, a time to plant, a time not to plant. There's a time to live, a time to die. There's all these different things he goes through in Ecclesiastes 3. But here's the deal. When it's the season to move forward, when it's the season for a new thing, then, then there is a time uh, God allots for us to seize that season or it'll pass us by. And so we got to learn to seize it, grab it, grab it. Paul the Apostle said, redeem the time. That means make the most of every opportunity God gives you because the days are evil. And so there is a time to grab hold of every season and seize that season. And so if you're going to walk into a new thing, not only do you have to quit looking back, not only do you have to start looking forward, but when you spot those new doors, you've got to take advantage of them and seize the opportunity and walk through it. Walk through. Peter sees his season after his dismal failure of denial. The Bible tells us he accepted Jesus' forgiveness and he forgave himself. And he began again as the great apostle to the Jews, Peter. We wouldn't have first and second Peter if he hadn't forgiven himself. Paul sees the season. He accepted Jesus' forgiveness for all the terrible things he did to the church. And he threw his heart into the church. Stepped onto the new road God gave him and he became the great apostle Paul to the Gentiles. He began again. Can we stand together today? Now I told you I was going to lead you in a prayer. Because some of you need to forgive yourself, and, and, and if you don't, you can pray it anyway. But I want us to position ourselves for a new beginning. Amen? I believe I'm in a season of a new beginning. I believe it with all of my heart. And, 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 and I, can, I can just see springtime in my life, literally and figuratively. And some of you need to get out of the past and walk forward into a new beginning. Amen? So let's pray this prayer together. And this is to forgive ourselves. And I want you to think carefully, do you need to? Holy Spirit, show us if we need to. Show us if we need to let ourselves off the hook. Forgive ourselves as you have forgiven us. Pray this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I confess the secret vows I have made to never forgive myself. Because Jesus died for my sins, I choose to forgive myself, to no longer punish myself and be angry with myself. In Jesus' name. Now, with your heads bowed a moment longer, listen carefully to me. I'm talking right to individuals now. You can't begin again until you're born again. You must be born again to begin again. In the truest sense of the word. And I want to lead you in a simple prayer because some of you have a question mark about whether or not you've truly been born again. You may have been in church a long time. Doesn't matter. 
People who don't know Jesus fill churches all over America. It's not a condemnation. I didn't know Jesus once. And I was a terrible sinner. But then I came to know him by his grace and mercy. And by a simple prayer. So I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. If you can say, Jeff, I'm not sure. I would not get in my car and get on the highway if I didn't know for sure I knew Jesus. So we're just going to pray a simple prayer. The prayer that I prayed when I was in juvenile home as a 16-year-old boy and I got saved. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. Just pray it with me. Say, Lord Jesus, I believe you died for me and rose from the dead to save my soul and to change me. I repent of the sin in my life. And I ask you to forgive me and come into my heart as Savior and Lord. In Jesus' name.